I approach it with minor league experience, minor league blue collar work ethic of we have to sell tickets one by one every day, hand to hand combat. That was NLL front office executive, Rich Lisk. He's the guest on this week's Chasing the Goal podcast. Welcome to New England Lacrosse Journal's Chasing the Goal podcast, your destination for all things lacrosse. I'm your host, Kyle Devitt, and alongside me, Jack Piatelli. Jack, I got to tell you, I was on the Ivy League conference call last week, and I was talking to Coach Busick at Cornell, and I was like, who's going to fill the hole that has been left by John Piatelli's departure? And he had one of the best things. He was like, you don't just replace... 66 goals with one guy. But I do think that maybe your other son might be stepping into that role. How, how's he doing it at Cornell coming into the season? He's doing really well, and I think he's turned the corner. And what I mean by that, he's playing with more confidence now. I always said to my boys and my daughter when they were growing up, you can be as good as you want to be. Yeah. Right? You can t- Really, to any player, you can be as good as you want to be. How much time do you want to put in, film, gym, work, so on and so forth. But he, he's, doing, he's doing really well. He's grown up a lot. He's become more of a leader on the field. And he's starting at attack. He's on man. And I give that class a lot of credit. And I give my son a lot of credit because his first year after five games, he played a little bit on the third midfield line. Season ended. Next year, no, no season. Last year, he was injured. So he didn't, once he was healthy, forget it. Yeah. Already rolling. Already yeah. rolling. Yeah. He's not going to get any time. So now, when I kept telling him, your time's going to come. But he stuck with it, put his time in. He's doing well academically. He's in the hotel management. And they scrimmaged Lemoyne over the weekend. He played the first half. He had four goals. So he said he felt really good out there. And again, I think it's, it's, it's his confidence more than anything. I mean, he's gotten bigger. He's gotten stronger. He's worked on his shot. So I'm very proud of him. And I got a special day coming up, February 18th. Cornell plays at Albany at noon. And my son, John, plays for the Albany Firewolves, and he plays that night. Nice. So we have a lot of family and friends going to spend the day in Albany. So I get to watch my son, Brian, play for Cornell, and then my oldest son playing for the Firewolves. I mean, it it doesn't get any better than that. I'm very, very blessed. Yeah, I'll tell you what, guys. Last year when Cornell made the... The finals in the NCAA. Jack was gracious enough to let me join the Cornell tailgate. And let me tell you something about Cornell. These dudes know how to have fun. And I don't mean that in like a, oh, everyone's partying. I mean it as like everybody was happy to be there. There was, they're playing Maryland in the D1 championship. It's the highest level of lacrosse you can, you can get to at that point. And it just was everyone having fun. Everyone was like, oh, have you met this guy? Have you met this guy? And you know, it's funny. I don't know if people follow other sports that are listening to it, but a Cornell alum that's pretty famous, I would say, is, is Bruce Arena. He used to be the, the head coach of the U.S. national team, and he's now the, the coach of the New England Revolution. And, and he's there, and I met him, and we were just talking in a circle like we do with these things. And I was like, kind of like, I don't get really like shy around people. And I was like, shy around this dude. Because like, this, this guy did so many great, like, I, he, 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 uh, he was at Brown, friends with Dom Starja. He played lacrosse. People maybe don't know that. He actually coached at Virginia and was, was a lacrosse coach, was an assistant lacrosse coach at Virginia as well as a soccer coach. So this guy's a legend. 
And he walks away and I'm talking to Jack and I'm looking at him. I'm looking at him, walk away. And Jack's like, do you want a picture with him? And I was like, I mean, yeah, kind of. Like yeah. I turned to like a little kid, like, yeah, a little bit. <laughs> and I have it. And it's, it's not the best picture I've ever taken for sure. Well, I took it. That's I probably know. why. Well, maybe. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's always hard for me to take pictures with really tall people because I'll just be up to their stomach or whatever. But yeah, it was, it was a great moment, man. I, I, I love that. That was like, I think people listen to this show and they don't realize like, well, Jack and I knew each other a little bit before we started. We weren't like friends. We weren't like exchanging texts. We weren't like hanging out at each other's houses or like calling each other if something happened or anything like that. And and now that's what we do. And and part of that is is because of lacrosse and because of you that are listening. And I'm, I'm thankful for that because I get to have a moment like that, like that I remember where Jack's always going to be there. He's going to he's going to pick you up. He's going to give you an opportunity to to talk to someone that maybe you might be a little too nervous to talk to, but I'll remember it for a long time. It was very cool. Well, that day was obviously a, a great weekend for our family and my, you know, my two boys. And my youngest son, Brian, he very rarely calls me. He's, I might get a call from him maybe once a month when all my other kids check in with me once a week. And that's just my son. So championship game day, Monday, Memorial Day, very hot day. Yeah. I get to the, the Cornell tailgate like eight in the morning so it's around 11 30 i'm hot i'm thirsty i had a cooler in my car grabbed some water sat in my car for a little bit turned the ac on my phone rings it's 11 30 game starts at one it's my son brian i go oh, what's going on he's not dressing he's not playing and a little concerned because i never hear from him. calls me up and said dad i gotta tell you this is awesome to be here is awesome and john and i would not be here if it wasn't for you and everything you've done for us. That was the greatest dad moment of my life. Yeah. I, I mean, it must be, right? I mean, I, I don't get to have a ton of those moments, but like brings those to you, to you too, right? Like I, I just remembered actually this last week I was doing a clinic in, in Hooksit where I live in, in New Hampshire and a seven-year-old kid and maybe a nine-year-old kid never played before. And I'm, I spent an hour just teaching them how to cradle, how to move their hand down the stick. Because you know when, when little kids start playing, they always keep their hands far up and yeah. close to the head so they can get more control. Because instinctively, that's what you do. And I kept being like, no, we're going to bring this down. See how I have tape on my stick right here? That's what it's for. See, I keep my hand here. This is why I do it. And I bring it up. And I didn't realize it, but the parents were watching the whole time. And it, it was one of those situations where like there should have been more kids, but there was only two. So I didn't even realize I was under the microscope teaching these kids that. And the parents came up after us and like, I can't believe we got so much one-on-one. -on -one. This is incredible. He didn't even know how to catch the ball before. He didn't know how to throw it. And I'm just like, that's like, that's the best feeling when like that you helped someone get to a point where like that, that could be something, maybe he never plays lacrosse again. I don't know. But maybe that kid who went to a random free clinic and hooks it one day, then I happen to be there. I got to teach that kid how to catch a ball, how to throw a ball. It's, it, it's, the trickle-down effect of everything that we do is so massive, and I think we don't always stop to appreciate that. Well, what you did was you made the kid excited about the game of lacrosse. So he's running home, telling his parents how much fun he had, Kyle was great, and he's probably telling a friend. Yeah. And you're growing the game, and that's what we do. Right, and one of the ways we do that is we bring in our guest this week is NLL front office executive, Rich Lisk. Richard, hey, thanks for jumping on. Rick, the Riptide have been struggling a little bit. 
But um, you made a big trade, sent uh, Crawford on his way. And the following game, unfortunately, you played against the Albany Firewolves and Mr. Jeff Teed had seven goals and only five assists. Yeah. And obviously very, very fun, fun to watch. But my take back or my take from that is it became more of a distribution offensive game than it was just about one guy. Yeah. And I agree with you, Jack. I agree with you. Like, that was a tough call because I think you and, you and I have a relationship and we've had a relationship for years and Callum's been with me for years. And, and it was a tough call to trade someone like Callum, a future Hall of Famer. But as you in this league, it's, uh, it, it's, it's kind of like it's a part-time league and he had, he wanted to get home and have his family watch him play and that team made sense for him. But it also made sense for us in, in the sense that, as you saw in Albany, it, it, the offense now changes to a different offense and it changes our strategies, change the way we play, who runs the offense, it changes. And it was, I don't want to say it was time for Jeff, but it, Jeff is here. He's not going anywhere. He's not, he is the focal point of our offense. And now he will be running the offense. Not saying that he wasn't before, but when you have two straws starting to drink, it's tough. And now there's one straw starting to drink with that. And, and as you saw, I think our offense looked differently against Albany. And even this last week, even though we lost against Toronto, again, it looked different. It was distribution. The ball's moving more. It's not saying that that's any fault of Callum's at all. It's just the way now the offense will look. Yeah, Callum's on the 18th green, where, and, and Mr. Teed is on the second green right now, right? I mean, he's the best player in the league by far, one of the best college players to ever play. And obviously, I'm a big fan of him having to watch him play at Cornell and my son's got to play with him for, for two years. A very, very special player. And if anybody has a chance to watch anyone play, um, Jeff Teat is the player to watch. His, his ability to see the field, the way he shoots the ball, just his whole presence, his, his confidence and his, his coolness on the floor. And the thing that I said to my son after that game, John, was Teat got more touches. He got more touches. Mm -hmm. And when Jeff Teat gets more touches, your team is going to be better. Exactly. I mean, if you look at our highlights, I think our, our digital content manager, director, Tyson, put out this week two, two highlights that I look at that are Jeff are amazing. If anyone hasn't seen them, please go and check it out. There's one where he's, he's driving and he flips the ball over his shoulder without looking to Larson Sundown, who has a wide open shot. And then the other one is he's coming across the top and it looks like he's going to pass behind the net to... I think it was Larson at the time, and he popped it in the he popped it over Rosie's shoulder and in the far corner. And it looks like he does it effort. It's just the flick of the wrist, boom, it's in. And you're absolutely correct. The he will get more touches now, and that is a big part of our offense. We're going to take a quick break, but there's more chasing the goal podcast on the way. All right, class, it's the NCAA Men's Lacrosse Championships. Welcome to Fandom 101. Want to hype up your squad from face-off to the final whistle? Here's your assignment. Lesson one, get loud for every goal. Two, work together. And three, attendance is encouraged, but passion is mandatory. The Men's Lacrosse Championships, May 27th and 29th at Lincoln Financial Field in Philadelphia. Buy your tickets today at NCAA.com slash mlacrosse. Class dismissed. All right, class, it's the NCAA Division I Women's Lacrosse Championship. Welcome to Fandom 101. Want to give your team the ultimate assist on the lax field? 
Here's your assignment. Lesson one, get loud for every goal. Two, work in groups. And three, attendance is encouraged, but passion is mandatory. The Division I Women's Lacrosse Championship, May 26th and 28th at Wake Med Soccer Park in Cary, North Carolina. Buy your tickets today at NCAA.com slash WLacrosse. Class dismissed. Dedication, skills, focus, and the drive to play at the highest level. Massachusetts is committed to providing the coaching and curriculum that will allow boys and girls to learn and grow as individuals and as teammates. With an emphasis on skill development and academic excellence, their players have led the country in college recruiting for the past 10 years. With over 800-plus players moving on to play in college and over 130-plus high school All-Americans, Massachusetts has been able to set the nationwide standard unmatched in the sport of lacrosse. To learn more, log on to Massachusetts.com. That's Massachusetts.com. So I want to tell you how I became a Riptide fan because it's a, it's a weird story. It's a fun story. When COVID happened and everything was kind of shut down, the year after, the NLL came all the way back, right? And came back in force and the Riptide were one of the teams. And I put it out on Twitter with my, my friend Chris Rosenthal. I was like, hey, we're free agents. We had been covering pro outdoor lacrosse for a long time. And I, I do love box lacrosse. I'm a box lacrosse guy. I actually played at a higher level of box lacrosse than field. I got to play a little senior B. That's probably the pinnacle of my career when I was like 28. Played like a couple games and then didn't play again. But I will say, we put this out. And a couple teams responded like, oh, we're interested. But I'll tell you what, Brett Malamud, who was previously with the machine, sent me a care package that had all this Riptide stuff. None of it fit me. I didn't care. It was so cool. I have, I still have, he sent like five magnets. The magnets are all of my family's houses. One of the hats I gave to my, so I filmed my fan allegiance video at a beach to do the Riptide theme. And I had, I had the water rush up and rush up on the field. And my parents live in Hampton, New Hampshire. And I kind of did a slow pan over to it to reveal. And the video got so many hits. I can't, I could not believe it. I posted it on Twitter. And then there's just pictures of me and my, tiny red-haired niece just like running around in riptide gear it's amazing and um the winds that weren't necessarily there that season but you got teeter and as soon as i drafted tito i was like oh yeah no this was a good decision yeah i'm in i'm i'm in on it he's and you talked about one of those highlights the one the second one is the one that stood out for me because btbs yeah. are great but when you can score walking he's if you watch the highlight it's like he's walking backwards and just casually flicking the ball, and it looks like a pass. And it's like, I think Jenner, Jenner tweeted, it was just like, every time I watch this, it looks like a pass. And I was yeah. like, oh, really? And I watched it four or five times, and I'm like, he's right, man. I love it. So, I mean. It was weird. I was watching that in the, in the arena, and bro, where we were sitting, they gave us a suite. So I was sitting in a suite, and I was like, oh, he must have missed the pass to Larson, and all the guys put their arms in the air. And I thought, oh my God, how'd that go in? And then they finally showed it on the board. And it's, uh, he's amazing. He is absolutely amazing. And the other part about Jeff that I think, Jack, you could attest to this better than anybody, is he's a great human being and he's got high character. And, and that's something I preached. I want men with character and not characters. I learned that a long time ago from, from one of my old bosses. And he fits that mold perfectly. He's someone that you want representing your team. And he happens to be, in my opinion, the best lacrosse player on the planet. Right? Yeah, very humble too. I mean, when you when you meet the guy, you you never know he was the best player 
He's super unassuming. Like, I've met him. Very unassuming. Very unassuming. Yeah. Just all about like very quiet, very, I say this in, the, in a nice way, not a pejorative one, very Canadian. Just yeah. very Canadian yeah. in, in all like stereotypical ways that are good about Canadians, right? Like I, I think that he, he fits all of those and just watching him play. I mean, he, pl- he plays incredibly for the, for the PLL as well with the Atlas. I, I remember he, he's been drafted by, because of how everything shook out with COVID and different leagues and he's been drafted and redrafted multiple times. But I think anywhere that he sticks, that team's going to have a chance to win games because he is just, he's electric. He's, he's just able to create for other people as well as himself. Well, it says a lot about a player who is number one overall in the PLL and the NLL. Yeah. What kind of a player he is, right? Because... Same thing. Go ahead. So he was, he was rookie of the year in the PLL. He was rookie of the year in the NLL. And in the 36, 37 years with COVID of the NLL, no rookie has ever scored over 100 points. He scored over 100 points and he missed two games with COVID. Impressive. So... Think about those numbers. I mean, he just hit his 100th assist this night, last last Saturday, and he's only been in the league two years, and he already has 100 assists. I mean, it's incredible. I, I want to talk to you a little bit about how you got into to box lacrosse and how you're now in a, an executive position with the Riptide. What is, what is the kind of your, your origin with the game? Sure. So when I was way back when, I've been really been in the hockey business. I helped. Uh, I was the first marketing director of the Philadelphia Phantoms. And then the Trenton Titans East Coast League came in and I got involved with the Trenton Titans. I was there for seven years. The last three, I was the president and general manager. And hockey and lacrosse are very, very, very closely tied together. You're dealing with almost the same athletes. And then actually a funny story is when I, after I left the Titans, I got involved with the Wings, became their COO, then went to their GM. And I signed a guy, Kyle Buchanan. And when I talked to Kyle about signing, Kyle said to me, we met once before. And I said, really? He goes, yeah, when I was 13 years old, I used to run around your locker room in Trenton because uncle was Mike Hall, who was your captain in Trenton. So the combinations were so close. And actually, at one point, Kyle could have played hockey. He had 75 points in juniors playing on Claude Giroux's line. So Claude Giroux used to come to our games and stuff when we were in Philly. So just being around that hockey world translated very well to the lacrosse world. I was two years in Philly with them, and then we got sold to the Mohegan Sun Casino. I went there, was the GM there in New England for six years, and then over here for three years. This is like my third, my second season, third season with the organization, second season running the lacrosse side. So it's just kind of molded into it, and, and really getting that hockey background has helped mold, hold, mold me. So let me ask you this then. I think one of the, the problems with with lacrosse, all brands, all types. We're trying to get butts in seats. And I feel no league has done it better than the NLL, especially as of late. I mean, I think it's just one of those things that you guys put the attention to detail in to have ticket sales, have promotions, have things that resonate with fans that aren't the same fans that go to D1 field games. They just aren't. And I think people don't realize that. And I want to know how you've been able to cultivate that into basically your own fan base. Yeah, I mean, it's hard. And I, I got to tell you, it is hard work. And we we, we really work it almost, and I mean this in the utmost respectful way, I think minor league baseball does a really good job with fans and cultivating fans and bringing people out and that. That, and I, I've always come from the minor league mentality. I was in Trenton, New Jersey, selling hockey in Trenton, New Jersey for years. And we led the league in attendance. 
And so I, I approach it with minor league experience, minor league blue collar work ethic of we have to sell tickets one by one every day, hand to hand combat. And now I have six full-time ticket sellers and I have two directors, one that does nothing except groups and one that does nothing except premium and season tickets. So there's different people that are season ticket holders. Those are like your rabid nine games every single day fans. So that's a, a person you cater to in a different way. And then there's those groups that you're cultivating to come in maybe for the first time to see you for an entertainment option, maybe not so much what goes on on the field, the entertainment option. And then hopefully we do a good enough job entertaining them, giving them their money's worth. And then we, we can swoop in and talk to them about becoming season ticket holders on this side. So it's a massive funnel that we keep working. And I say the most important people in your organization are your ticket sales. That's the heart. That's the heart that pumps all the blood everywhere. We don't do tickets. We don't do sponsorships. We don't put people in. Players don't want to come play here. And now you're stuck. And that's the tough part. So that's the really big emphasis of me is my focus when I first got to this organization was the business side and really focus on that ticket area and how can we drive tickets. And I'm proud to say that we're averaging close to 4,700. Our first year, I think we averaged like 2,000, 2,500. We're up, we're up close to 1,100 season ticket holders. I think our first year we had 200 season holders. So every day it's growing and we're, and we're growing it there. And in 10 years from now, hopefully I'll sell you, we've sell out the building. Looking to keep up with all the latest news and information on New England lacrosse? New England Lacrosse Journal and LaxJournal.com are the premier resources for information and inspiration on the New England lacrosse scene. Have every issue of New England Lacrosse Journal, the magazine, delivered to your home or office. And don't forget to stay in the game every day with a digital subscription to LaxJournal.com to receive daily digital lacrosse coverage on club lacrosse, college commits, prep and high school, Division One, Two, and Three colleges, showcases, rankings, and much more. Get in the game and behind the scenes now by logging on to LaxJournal.com. Just click on the subscribe button and start the subscription that is right for you today. New England Lacrosse Journal is a Siemens Media publication. Siemens Media. Inspiring. Informative. Insightful. This winter, Piatelli Lacrosse has a great way for you to stay in shape and play lacrosse. Kyle, yes. Starting in January, we have box lacrosse leagues for youth and high school. Players of all ages at two convenient locations in Agawam and Taunton, Massachusetts. The up-tempo pace of box lacrosse is an excellent way for players to learn to play faster and develop new skills that will make you more effective on the field in the spring. And coaches will be provided for each game, and all players will take part in mini-clinic prior to the game where we will work on different box lacrosse skills. Make the most of your off-season, play some box lacrosse. This program is open to all interested players. For more information on our Winter Box League, visit www.piatellilacrosse.com. I want to speak to that experience as someone that's just a, just as a consumer, not even a, a media person at all. I went uh, a couple weekends ago, went, went up to Portland and watched some minor league hockey, watched the Portland Mariners. And after all the time that I work in lacrosse, I don't get to go to a lot of sports all that often because like you're, I'm watching games for a living, right? So I did take this little break. I went up there and I saw it and I'm sitting in the stands and every power play had a sponsor. There were sponsors Ooh. plastered everywhere. Every time there was icing, there was a sponsor and it was the same one and it's the same read and it's on the jumbotron. And 
I, I remember them. I could say them into the mic, but they are not paying me, so I will not say them. But that kind of organization is absent from lacrosse that isn't in the NLL. It is, it is one of the things that if lacrosse across the board, and people that are listening to this podcast aren't necessarily going to be NLL diehards, right? Let me right. Take, take this lesson away from it. I'm, I'm going to tell it to you, and I, I, think, I think you're going to back me up on this. Selling the, getting the sponsors doesn't just happen. Like you said, you have to have butts in seats. You have to have ticket sales to get sponsors. No one is going to throw money at you unless you can show you're reaching this amount of people this many times during the course of your game. And once other parts of lacrosse can figure that out, they can kind of compete. But I, I think that's a big part of what has made the NLL a more popular league with people that aren't just lacrosse fans. And I think it's a huge part of it because they're catered to. You know what I mean? They're, they're given specific things. They're given specific direction and they respond by attending. And the, the game brings people in. And then what keeps them is the experience, right? So I think the NLL is better at that than anybody else. If someone left my game, and I say this all the time, I, I wear two hats, right? I wear the business side and the lacrosse side. I'm, a, I'm a, a very, very competitive. I want to win every single game. So let's take that off the side. But if someone leaves my game and we lost, or they don't know the score, but they leave and they say, hey, I had a great time. I got, to, I got four hot dogs, four sodas, four popcorns. My kids had a great time. They got a ball. They got an autograph. They met the mascot. We bought a t-shirt. I'm coming back next week. Oh, by the way, what was the score? What happened? I know it was an exciting game. I heard all my music and stuff. And now they come back. I get them back another time and another time and another time. And I turn two games at the three games into nine. games. That's my ultimate goal. That's our funnel that we try to work with. And I need to deliver that entertainment option. And I tell our staff from day one, Every time you step into that arena, from the time people leave the car to the time they go back to the car, someone has been here nine times and there's going to be someone that's been here no times. And we got to treat everybody like they've been here no times and you're coming to your house for a night out. And how would you treat someone if they came to your house? And then hopefully it translates. Rich, a couple things I'd like changed. Well, I think in order to get more Americans, lacrosse people into the stands, is you need more American players playing Absolutely. the game, playing the game. And we're seeing more American players given the opportunity to play the, in the NLL. And I think we need more American coaches in the NLL. And I'm not saying that having Canadian coaches and Canadian players are part of the league. It's, they know the game as well, if not better than anybody. But I think having American coaches draws American players, just like the Canadian coaches know all the Canadian players. All the American coaches know all the American players. And the PLL has a great following outside of the stadium because they followed all these players in college and now they're playing in the PLL. So there's, there's a correlation between college and the PLL, which you don't have in the NLL. And the number one college sport in America for lacrosse players is men's lacrosse. Yep. Well, you're right. And I know that's a tough thing that we, we as American teams struggle with, right? Canadian teams don't struggle with that so much, but also our league needs to start developing more Americans because the talent pool 
is thinning out as we get more teams. When I first came into the league, it was nine teams. So you had a talent pool with nine teams. Now we have 15 teams, hopefully someday growing to 16 and above. Where does that talent come from? Who do you get? How do you bring them in? And you're going to more non-traditional lacrosse markets, right? San Diego, a non-traditional lacrosse market. Las Vegas, a non-traditional lacrosse market. How are you going to get people there? Yes, you got to go to the people they know and who they understand and who they follow. And those are American players right now. And that is something I think as a league we have to do. I know personally for our team being here on Long Island, we have a plethora of talent on Long Island, right? That's Long Island is known from lacrosse. How do I develop that American Long Island lacrosse player that will end up playing for the Riptide? And that's a huge part of my five-year plan with this team of how we're going to do that and incorporating American coaches to help do that. Well, I'll tell you, the game is evolving here in New England, Massachusetts. You're seeing, like my program, Piatelli Lacrosse, we now have the Stallions. The Stallions, we have four teams, box teams. We played in three. We're playing in our final tournament this weekend. So you're seeing a lot of the club programs now offering box lacrosse. Having played box lacrosse, having coached it, I coached them this winter. Had a lot of fun, but the takeaway from the parents and the players was not only was it a fun game to play, but the development, it was incredible, incredible. And that's what is important. That's the sell for these American players. Not only is it really a lot of fun, but you're going to become so much better if you play box lacrosse for a number of reasons, space, timing. We, we can go on and on about that, but, but it is growing in New England and more kids are playing. So I think in, the, in 10 years, you'll have more players to choose from. I agree with you. And you, Jack, I mean, like I, I, as a professional, a person that runs a professional lacrosse team on Long Island, I don't want to be ever the person that comes in and says, I know more about field lacrosse and lacrosse than everybody else on Long Island. That's not us. I have a niche. My niche is we have the best box lacrosse players in the world. I'm not coming in to take over anyone's programs. I'm not coming in to steal kids to come over here. I'm coming in to work with all the programs to teach your program box lacrosse to make your kids better. That is my niche. I don't need an outdoor team. I don't need an outdoor organization. You're not going to see the Riptide outdoor teams. You will see our guys do junior Riptide camps and clinics. You will see our guys do junior Riptide special camps and clinics. And that's what I'm here to do is to teach that box game to the American kids on Long Island, Connecticut, to make them better lacrosse players. That's well, where that's where I'm. Yeah. And, and I think one of the things that's happened recently, it's been in the news, I, I reported it. The PBLA kind of tried to prop itself up as an American option for guys that don't make NLL teams. They're, it's kind of a, they tried to be a developmental league and they did things that caused them to shut down early. I was lucky enough to see a, a Chowderheads game and I loved it. And I loved the product and I know it wasn't, I've seen high level NLL. I know what that looks like. It wasn't that, but what it was, was a lot of American players clearly learning on the fly how to play box at a higher level than they were ever been accustomed to. You can talk about all your leagues, all your turns. Listen, I played in that Utica tournament. If my old ass can play in that Utica tournament, how good is it? I don't know. I did all right. I didn't die. I rolled my ankle over and folded it in half, but I still played in it, right? So 
I think that there's a way to build box as an attractive option for American field players, but I don't know how to do that other than introducing it as a training option because it's more than that. It's, it's such a different way to approach everything. And box does make you better. You get more touches. You get more time in the field. You have a role. I think one of the greatest things box across teaches you is this is your role. You got to fill this role or you are not on the floor. Like that is, that is a hundred percent what box teaches you. I love that part. That's my, one of my favorite things. I wish everyone learned how to play box, but how do you develop past the, Hey, here's an interesting training option and get to a level like the, the Canadian senior B and senior A and junior A and junior B leagues get to. I think there's schools that we work with now too, that are introducing it as a training program, right? There's a, a division three school, Christopher Newfort, that we talk to all the time that he has installed a box and he's teaching box lacrosse. The thing I wish, my opinion, totally my opinion, people are going to be mad at me, but it's my opinion. The PBLA, I think, mixed, missed the mark a little bit. And I'll give you a story about how the, I think they missed the mark. I was going to sign an American defenseman to come in and play with us. And I worked and he was signed to the PBLA. And, and I also think that when you, when we bring Americans to kid, right, that's usually the first time they've ever gotten into a box. Right. It's the first time I've heard the Canadians speaking, the language, the locker room, what they do on the field, what they don't do on the, all the different lingos. And stuff. So my goal is to introduce it early. So I went to this guy and I said, Hey, I want to sign you to my practice roster. And here's my goal with you. I'm going to bring you to practice on Friday night. I'm going to bring you to shoot around on Saturday. You're going to sit in our video session. And then I'm going to send you to your PBL game Saturday and Sunday. And you go play in that because I don't need you sitting in my stands watching me. I need you playing. But take what we teach yeah. you and go there. He was full of four. We mapped out his whole schedule. He went to his coach. His coach was good with it. And the league said, no, we will not allow you to do that. Yeah. You're signed to the PBLA. That's where you're playing. And that kid missed out. So now that kid wants to hook up with me and come to my camp next year. And the only real experience he's going to have is maybe four or five games from the PBLA because I can't put him on my practice roster now because I don't have that spot. And that's where he's going to be stuck coming into camp. And I think they missed an opportunity with that because we have four practice roster spots, all of us. And maybe not so much to the Canadian teams, but teams like myself who practice every Friday on Long Island I could have really developed that player and made him better at what he did. And that's where I think we need the PBLA if they come back to do that. No, I agree. I think they rushed to market way, way too quickly. But I really liked your plan. I think that's a great plan. You take two or three players from each PBL squad and you give them an opportunity to go through practices, watch film, and, and play. That's that's great plan to, to get more Americans to play in the NLL. You have a new commissioner. What is your message to your new commissioner? What needs to change to make the game better? One thing I want to see, I want them to eliminate the music while they're playing. The kids love that, Jack. No, I'm not kidding. No, listen, no, no. Listen, it's not about us. It's not about our, no. our old asses. No, I'm no. telling you, They can it's still not. play the music, but not while they're playing or lower it. The kids I think, love it, man. No, they want to hear the bang. The, my, even my son, Brian, was, the, my daughter. I mean, they're, they, they don't, they, I mean, the, the, the music's oh, so loud, you can't even hear yourself think. It's sometimes. not for you, though. I know, maybe it isn't, but... It, it's the old argument. Everyone wants us to lower the music, prepare the music off. 
always happens every year. I got to tell you, so the, the, the PBLA did copy that and kept their music in. And I went to the game with, with my girlfriend, Danielle, and her son, who's seven. He's never seen any lacrosse. He's sitting there, and the music didn't stop. And he went, what, is the music going to stop? Because he, he's watching American sports his whole life. He's like, this is amazing. Like, his eyes, I've never seen anyone's eyes just vibrate. We're trying to look at stuff. And it wasn't just the music. Sometimes the music can play into the action. Yeah. And that's, that's cool for them. Like I'm, I'm kind of, I'm with you. I get it. I, think I get what you're made, saying. Made but a like, mo modification of it. Something I think. But like, know. what do you have to hear? What do you have to hear him talk on the floor? No, I like to hear the ball hit the, the goalie's pad or a, I mean, a, that's, a good check. And okay. A bang against the boards. But you hear that. Coach, tell us what you want as the new commissioner, which you have. What would you like to see changed in the NLL for it to be maybe one of the top? Five sports, professional sports but in I America. Think, I think there's a lot. I, I, first and foremost, I think we made a great, great choice for Brett. Brett was the, a great choice for us. And I've been in the league a long time, right? I've been here over nine years. And I've seen the league grow from nine teams to 15 teams, so on. Now we're at a level where I don't think we need to grow to 30 teams or 20 teams. I personally think we probably need one more team in the West. So you can get four, 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 and four have four divisions that way. And then the next thing is, is our, we need to grow our brand. We need to grow our TV presence. We need to grow. We need to see us more on linear TV so people can see it and understand it. Because even the casual fan, when they see a sport on linear TV, that's a real sport, to them, right? That's where they kind of pick up on it. They start to follow. And we need to do more of that. And we need to do more on our commercial side. And I do believe, because Brett comes from an American field background, he played at Brown, that we have to start developing these American players and we have to start developing it into the youth playing it. Because when the youth play it and then they want to come see Jeff play, they have to buy a ticket and they come and watch Jeff and they go from there. And I think those are the pillars that he's going to work on. And we couldn't have found a better person to, to work those pillars. It's a, it's a great place to end on. Thank you so much for joining us, Rich. Thank you for giving thank us your time. And thank you for listening to New England Cross Journal's Chasing the Gold podcast. For Jack Piatelli, I'm Kyle Devitt. We'll see you next time.